So we're going to turn now and going to pray for Judy as she comes. We're part of this Beatitude series. And just to flag up, last week we launched the series. There's also this little booklet, this study guide. If you want to journey with us through the series, this is an opportunity to do this during the weeks, which has got daily readings if you want to do those. There's some questions to study on your own or as part of a small group, a life group, or maybe as a part of a family. There's some other activities to do as your family as well or with other generations. So do take one of those on the welcome point on your way out if you haven't yet got one. But I'm going to pray for Judy as she comes to us and shares God's word with us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you, Lord Jesus, spoke that sermon on the mount many years ago. And we thank you that you're the God who still speaks today. And so we simply pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, teach us now as Judy comes and shares with us. We're listening, Lord. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, So as Tim said, the second then in our series on uh, the Beatitudes and uh, really brilliant, this book that Tim has put together. I would highly recommend it to you uh, for small groups, life groups, uh, and as Tim said, for your own individual study. And we're going to look just at one verse, which is where the second Beatitude, if you like, where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the whole of this sermon is pretty radical, but this is a particularly radical one, I think, because it sounds like the complete opposite of what we would expect. If we're looking at the word blessed, flourishing, happy, whatever our interpretation of that might be, it would seem a total misdemeanor uh, that actually it could ever be associated with happiness and grief in the same thing. But actually, when we look at the word blessed, makarios, it is a gift that is given that is joyful in spite of and in the midst of great suffering. I don't know what grieves you. I don't know what makes you cry. Uh, Gordon MacDonald says that actually when speakers come and share the word, we should never underestimate how much pain is in the pew. And I think that's very true. I know we don't have physical pews, but we kind of are in pews. And there is pain in our hearts today, raw pain for all sorts of reasons. And there is a reservoir of tears almost in every soul here that we collect over the years of witnessing pain and things happening to us. Uh, I've cried three times this weekend. You might think that's normal for me. I'm quite emotionally unstable sometimes, maybe, I don't know. Uh, But I certainly do cry at some strange things. The first was an advert on television, which you may or may not have seen. It's an advert for uh, Nescafe Gold Coffee. Uh, That wasn't why I was crying, but it's not brilliant coffee, to be honest. Um, But um, in the advert, uh, there is a guy who, I don't know if you've seen it, he stands in front of a theatre of every person he's ever met in his whole life. Imagine that. And of course, some he remembers and some he doesn't remember at all. And he does this thing where he speaks out and he says, oh, sit down if we played sport together, sit down if we've had a meal together. But then he goes a bit deeper and he says, sit down if you've never seen me cry. And of course, a lot of people do sit down, but there are a few who are still standing at that point. And that's the poignant moment because you see men and women who over the years have, who are still standing, there's only about five of them, one's in the ex-girlfriend category, I think, which I thought was quite amusing, but, um, but they're still standing. And then he says, if I've lost touch with you, 
come forward and meet with me now. And there's a few of them that come and the idea is that they have a coffee together. But there's something about him almost calling people that have witnessed part of his life, part of his rawness and said, you have a special place because we've done the deep stuff together. We've done the journey of pain together. Second one, I cried last night in Strictly. Uh, Some of you are already glazing over, but stay with me. There is a point to this. Uh, Strictly Come Dancing, if uh, anyone hasn't heard of it yet. And uh, um, Alexander Burke does this brilliant dance uh, with her partner Gurkha, I think he's called. Is that right? (laughs) Anyway, uh, they do this brilliant dance and she's euphoric. She's so happy. Everyone's slapping her on the back and they get about a few tens, I think, for the first time in the series. And out of this great euphoric celebration, she bursts into tears because her mum died just before she started the show. And suddenly she's at this height of success and her mum's nowhere to see it. And she just in front of the camera says, if only my mum was here now. And uh, dealt with beautifully, I have to say, uh, by those there. But uh, just a moment of absolute pain. Why? Because our successes we need witnesses for and our pain we need witnesses for. We need those who will travel with us. And the third thing that made me cry was my sister ringing me to to talk about my dad, who some of you know has just gone into a nursing home. And um, he was doing community singing, a sing-along where he's he's going to everything apparently. (laughs) But he went to the community sing-along and uh, was literally literally following apparently the carers said note by note with his finger trying to sing and at the end one of the carers said well done Richard you were really really giving it some there well done and he said um well I'm afraid I haven't got any voice left he has Parkinson's disease I'm afraid I haven't got any voice left but I was singing inside and uh, that really moved me because I think there is very little of my dad left if I'm honest in many ways but there's still that song in him that strength in him that makarios in him that joy that sustaining power that is in him as a man of faith and a a man of God Uh, so three very different probably quite superficial examples in some ways but three examples of what moves us what's moved me this weekend and the Bible says that we should expect to grieve we should expect to cry to lament to mourn and it is part of particularly Jesus's teaching really and this in this sermon that he says whatever it is that you are bereft of lacking finding you up against it I have a gift for you within it and the father has a gift for us within it and Jesus when he does the sermon on the mount when he gives this sermon it was not to the kind of refined people in society it was to the people who'd sought him out for healing for a touch for help in other words the crowd that he's addressing are in pain. And suddenly in this pain-filled mountain, if you like, where there are people longing for healing, longing for consolation, maybe grieving over different things just as we are today. And he speaks these words. What must they have thought when he says, blessed are you when you are mourning for you shall be comforted. That flourishing that we looked at last time. The Beatitudes are an announcement, not a philosophical analysis of the world. It is about something that is starting to happen, not about a general truth of life. It is gospel good news, not good advice. We're very aware that good advice, however well-meaning when we're grieving, doesn't often work very well. We say the wrong thing. We live in fear of saying the wrong thing sometimes. We get it wrong. 
But Jesus is not saying all good advice is going to make all the difference. What he is saying is there is good news in the kingdom. There is news of a life beyond this one. We live, as we heard earlier, about the now and the not yet. And actually, we live in the gap between what what has been and what will one day be. We live, some people say, between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We live in the, the now but the not yet. And actually, we're ushering in, Jesus is ushering in this radical kingdom that says when you're frail, when you're vulnerable, when you're in need, I will give something to you. Uh, Yesterday I was reading a a brilliant blog that a woman uh, called Tish Harrison Warren has written and uh, she's a a minister and a writer who has been through quite a lot of pain herself, quite a lot of grief. And uh, she talks about grief being a little bit like sand. She lost her father and then miscarried two babies quite late on in the pregnancy and then she uh, had to move community so in her pain she didn't have the same people around her that she would have normally had and she describes grief a little bit like sand uh, and this is what she says grief I found is like sand after a trip to the beach It is textured and sticky and it gets into your hair, your teeth, in between your toes. I return from the beach back to my normal life. But two days later, I open my sock drawer, astounded to find a thin dusting of sand at the bottom. I unzip my bag and grit gets under my fingernails. I pick up a book the next week and discover its creases, hide enough hard grains of the stuff to make a little beach on my desk. Grief for me gets everywhere. It settles even in the cracks of my day. Any topic, no matter how obscure, can suddenly remind me of what it is I've lost. I hear a news story and wonder what my dad would say, or I visit a new place and want to tell him about it. I open a drawer and see a note my daughter had written to him. His voicemails are still on my phone. And uh, there's real resonation with that, isn't there? Uh, There is for me. I I was sharing the first service when my mum died very suddenly. It took me a couple of years to change on my phone, mum and dad. (laughs) It still said mum and dad. I just couldn't just put dad on my phone to to phone or text. And there are those sort of things because we just don't want life to change. But it's an unstoppable force and it does. And it takes those from us that we've lost and loved. And it's very, very tough. But I love this image of sand. We all know that, don't we? We've been to the beach and you can't quite get rid of it. But also so you find it in unexpected places. We can think we're doing fine, whatever that means, really. And then something can trip us up that totally floors us. So I remember doing really well at my mum's funeral and thinking I got through that and then sobbing over some Mars bar ice cream that I found when I was clearing out the freezer and realised she'd got it in for our next film night. And they're those kind of things, aren't they? That one minute we can be absolutely fine and then we can be sobbing on the floor of the garage with some Mars bar ice cream in our hands. Really, really strange journey but what this lady says when she's talked about the sand comparison is beautiful she says grief does indeed get everywhere but so does mercy I am learning that there is no place of suffering to which we might go where God's beauty blessing and grace can't reach with each new sorrow moments of beauty still turn up and isn't that true I think for all of us and we'll all be mourning something That pain in the pew is is very real for us. Whether we're mourning uh, a loss of a job, maybe a loss of a person, maybe a loss of a relationship. Maybe we're even mourning what could have been and actually has not yet happened. 
and there will be a lot of that. There are loads of ways that this sand, if you like, of grief and mourning uh, can come into our lives. And Jesus, when he gathers the disciples together on another occasion in John 16, talks about when he will die, when it will seem like he has left us. And he says, you will grieve then, you will weep then. But he says, I will be back, I will come back. And he said, and actually in my return, there will be joy instead of mourning. There will be laughter instead of tears. So he says to his disciples, I get it. I know what it will be like. I understand pain. Jesus cries, we know over Lazarus in the Gospels, his friend, he cries over him. But he also weeps over Jerusalem. And uh, he weeps over the way the world is. He grieves over many things. He mourns. But he promises us this makarios, this joy that has a secret within itself. This is the miracle of the upside-down kingdom. He promises that makarios will seek us through our pain. And I think for those of us who are grieving today, we would testify that those moments of mercy, those moments of grace, can come as a great comfort when they come. Sometimes they're a while in coming and we feel like God has left us and then suddenly this beautiful blessing of kindness and mercy comes. Uh, Lindsay, who's, who's with us today and is part of our family here, a very beloved part of our family here, uh, lost her husband Trevor a few years ago now and it's been one of my real privileges at Riverside to be uh, part of that journey with uh, Lindsay. Uh, but Lindsay tells the story and it, uh, many of us will resonate with this of how hard it is sometimes to come to church so well done for being here um, and uh, how tough that is and of wrestling in the car park of how will I come in to the hall and actually avoid people saying how are you because what are you going to say when you've just lost your husband? Are we going to do the British thing and say, oh, I'm fine, thank you? You know, some of us do. We get our game face on, our Sunday face, whatever that means. Let's not do that here. Um, and actually, she would just pray, God, I, I can't get past that. And we had a guy who you might remember. He's, uh, he's still around sometimes, still part of our church community, David McKellen. And uh, he... Uh, was quite confused at times, although he does have a very prophetic gift, and he had put himself on welcome. No one had asked him, uh, but he had put himself there, and uh, maybe God had put him there. He, he had a badge that didn't say welcome or hello, like all of your lovely ones. It said, I'm an epileptic. So it was a bit of a random thing, but this is the way God is. I love church when it's messy like this, because he was the one that God chose for comfort for Lindsay on that day. Because what did he say? Didn't know her situation. He just said well done for being here today and that's beautiful and I know how much it meant to Lindsay but actually there's something about that that is this macarius this gift in the moment this comfort that Jesus says will come and like the sand it will come in lots of unexpected places the church in its meekness if you like in its brokenness in kind of almost getting it wrong getting it brilliantly right Macarius. The psalmist uh, laments many times, and uh, here's one beautiful one in verse 6 of Psalm 27. For the day of trouble, in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me. I love that. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. That can be worship, that can be prayer, it can be silence, it can be tears for many of us. And he set my feet high upon a rock. There is a surety, a confidence that we have that God has not 
left us. And the psalmist taps into that. So this comfort that he brings, well, as we've heard, he brings it through his people. You will know perhaps when you've been through times of grief how touching it is when someone makes a meal or doesn't try and give you advice or explain things but just does you some shopping or whatever that might be in comforting his people. The comfort and compassion of God draws close. And as I found this lovely anonymous quote from a poem that says, I walked a while with sorrow and never a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. And I would say that's been true true in my life. Often our theology can get a little bit skewed on this and we can think that our prayer should all be about pain avoidance, you know? Don't let me go through that, Lord, don't get me, you know, what, what Linda and, uh, and uh, David and Graham are doing is absolutely incredible, but they, they will have fear. You know, they could just not go, but it's that sense of actually saying, you know, whatever happens to us, God, you've got us. And there is also a sense that we don't know what's going to happen, but we do know that we will grow through sorrow and grow through struggle. Uh, I know, as I said, my mum died very, very suddenly, and it was the one thing I'd always said in my life that would break me, because <laughs> she was like my best friend. And I'd always said, I'll be all right, but that's the day I'll have a nervous breakdown. I'd almost planned it, you know how it is, thinking that'll be the thing that breaks me. And actually, it was the first time I ever prayed with my family out loud, first time I ever prayed in tongues for my dad. Uh, amazing things, and actually, my relationship with him really started in a different way from that day. That doesn't take the pain of loss away, but it rebirths something new. Something new happens uh, as we walk with sorrow. I came across this in Lee Abbey and the lovely lady who made it, Elizabeth Helbin, who is a Swiss sculptor. Try saying that. <laughs> and uh, she made this. I'm not particularly keen on it as a piece of art, but I think it is very, very uh, interesting. She calls it angel with broken wing and boxing gloves. <laughs> um, and have you ever felt like that? Certainly the psalmists do. There's a sense of lament because you have this sort of very uh, ethereal angel with this beautiful wing, which actually, if you look closely, is broken but she's sporting a pair of bright red boxing gloves. And that is when Elizabeth Halbin went through a, a really very, very sad breakup in her life after 10 years of a relationship, suddenly lost the, the guy that she thought she was going to spend the rest of her life with. And she sculpted this because she said, this is how I'm feeling towards God. She's turned towards him, not away from him, interestingly. She's got face upwards. She's broken, but she's got these boxing gloves that say, I don't get this. You know, have you ever felt like that? I'm just in a place where I'm broken and I don't get it. I've certainly worn those boxing gloves before now, and I'm sure many of us have. In the mystery of life, to actually say, oh God, I don't get this. But the beautiful thing about scripture is it's full of this kind of lament. We're going to look in a bit at Psalm 22, where, where the psalmist is saying, here's my complaint. He's got his boxing gloves on. He's saying, why have you forsaken me? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, even, calling out, why have you left me, God? And then finding him. And this is the journey, the kind of twists and turns of loss and grief. But a beautiful tribute to Elizabeth, really, but also to God's rescue and comfort, that he's big enough for our fight. He's big enough for our complaint and often out of our lament and our complaint comes what an expression of trust, which so often happens in scripture. 
Isaiah uh, 46 verse 4 says, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and rescue you. And sometimes when we look back on times of mourning, or maybe even when you're in one now, there is a sense that even though we don't know what to say to God and we're not sure what he's saying to us, there's a sense of being held. There's a sense of being carried. I prayed with a guy last week at another church who uh, was sobbing, uh, absolutely sobbing, and he said, my son on Christmas Day has never missed church, and at the age of 18 said, I cannot go to church. He has cystic fibrosis and had just been diagnosed with diabetes as well, and suddenly in his father's arms just said, I can't go to church today, on Christmas Day. And he just talked of holding his son in his arms and just letting him cry. And as I prayed for him, I felt almost like God was saying, I'm doing exactly the same for you now as you did for your son on Christmas Day. It was almost like an exact picture that God gave me of the embrace that actually he would give to him in the rawness of his pain. I am he who will sustain you, who will comfort you. Ben Palpant has written a beautiful book um, as he faced brain cancer when he himself was dying. And uh, it's a real gift to write a very unselfish act, I think. And this is what he says as he faces uh, death. Lift up weary hands and frightened face to God. Lean into his story. Even in the darkness, he is there. He is the one beside you singing. May you find his light in your darkness, his life in your death, and his joy in your sorrow. And I have seen this as I have, as a pastor, prepared people to die, that actually something of this Macarius becomes increasingly evident. Something of this transitioning into a better world than this one grows this confidence, this light in the darkness, that God is singing beside him. That seems completely radically different to what we would expect. Almost like mocking if we were to view it the wrong way. And yet, no, it's the closeness of God, his joy, his Macarius, his gift gift within it. So what does our heart grieve for? What is it that you mourn for today? The bliss of a man whose heart is broken for the world's suffering and for his own sin, for out of his sorrow he will find the joy of God. Our heart will break for many areas of suffering. We will mourn for many things across this world, even that we've heard of today. Our world is unfair, it's unequal, it's broken in so many ways. But we will also mourn for our own part in that. Because church is messy because we're in it. The world is messy because we're in it. Our lives are messy because we're in them. And actually here we see Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Why did he go out and weep? He wept when he denied Jesus three times. He wept over his own sin, that what he had brought into the world. But Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Yes, he wept personally over loss of a friend, but he also wept over the city. He cried over the pain with it. I'm sure many of us have cried over Birmingham in different ways, whether it be the NHS, whether it be education, all the pressure that is on so many of us right now. You might feel you are mourning now what it used to be like to teach, what it used to be like to be a doctor or a nurse or a TA or whoever, because life in our city is changing. We can't stop it unstoppable thing but what we can do is weep lament complain to God and then refresh put our confidence back in who he is 
Jerry Sitzer wrote a book that we thoroughly recommend to those who are grieving. I know many people here have found it helpful uh, when he lost really his entire family in a car accident when everyone really pretty much in his whole family that he had loved were gone. And uh, he talks about grief really like a landscape, like the garden outside uh, where there will always be a stump, but there will be new growth around it. You will never lose uh, that sense of loss, but you will gain new new relationships, new growth, new fruit, new calling actually out of it. And he says this, however painful our loss is, life can still be good, good in a different way than before, but nevertheless good. I will never recover from my loss and I will never get over missing the ones I lost, but I still cherish life. I will always want the ones I lost back again. I long for them with all my soul but I still celebrate the life I have found because they are gone. I have lost, but I have also gained. I lost a world I loved, but I gained a deeper awareness of grace. That grace has enabled me to clarify my purpose in life and rediscover the wonder of the present moment. And it always amazes me how many of us here at Riverside, through our pain, say, I'd like to set up something to reach out to others. I've seen that time and time again, that actually when we've walked through something or are still walking through that loss, people will come and say, I think I want to reach out to people who are in the situation I was once in. That grace, that mercy, that fresh calling, that new growth that comes out of and a redemption of, uh, of great loss. We're going to finish by lamenting. And the Bible is very clear that uh, we should expect to do that. Um, there's a really good quote actually that I read um, on lament. I did quite a lot of study on lament uh, over my time away, uh, but I thought this one was particularly good. It seems to me that we do not be need to be taught to lament since we have so many models in the Bible. What we need is simply the assurance that it is okay to lament. We all carry deep within ourselves a pressurized reservoir of tears. It takes only the right key at the right time to unlock them. In God's perfect time, these tears can be released to form a healing flood. And that is the beauty and the mystery of lament. So let's just quieten ourselves. And I was going to use that Psalm 22 just to guide us as we pray. And one of the things I love about this psalm as a lament is that it works in four ways. It begins with... Uh, the psalmist calling out, a bit like Jesus in the garden. He says, my God, my God. There's closeness even in that, isn't there? He's not saying loving, distant, heavenly father. He's saying, my God, my God. So even in the shouting out, he is close. And then he says, why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? And Matt, that might be you now. So I'm just going to read it. Let's be quiet. And then we'll express our trust in him again. Uh, the journey of lament takes us through a complaint, through a boxing glove moment, but brings us back into the Macarius of the Sermon on the Mount. So my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I can find no rest. 
but Lord, do not be far from me. Come quickly to bring help. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me. For you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel, and in you I put my trust. Our ancestors put their trust in you, and they were delivered. You delivered them. You brought me out of the mother's womb. You made me feel secure on my mother's breast. And I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. For he is not despised or scorned the suffering of each one. He has not hidden his face, but he has listened to his cry for help. 